This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns excuse me, his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Um, as, as Ted said, my name is Eric Stites, and my role here at New City is, is having the honor and privilege uh, to be the congregation planter uh, in Holden Heights. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning for the holiday season, I, I do want to uh, welcome you and, and know that it's a, it's a joy and an honor to have you uh, here with us this morning. Well, well, today we come to one of these passages in Scripture that is really one of the most difficult because it's so familiar to us, uh, sometimes it, it loses uh, its shock value. But it, it's a shocking story. Uh, because it's so familiar, uh, and it's one of the first stories in the Bible, uh, I think sometimes we, we end up chalking it up as, as fairy tale. Like, maybe this isn't really real. Well, it is very real. Uh, 4,000 years ago, a, a real man named Abraham stood with his hand poised uh, with a real knife over his real son named Isaac, uh, ready to sacrifice him at the Lord's command until a real angel of the Lord uh, stopped him in mid-strike. 
This story uh, is as real as the, the typhoon in the Philippines in the last couple of weeks, the, the tornadoes that we've seen in the Midwest. The two characters, Abraham and Isaac, are as real as, as me and my own son. It's that real. And, and the passage is difficult, uh, not because it has lots of big theological words that, that we need to define. It's not hard to understand. It, it's, it's easy to understand. But as, as C.S. Lewis says, it's absurd the story is absurd. It's, it's a conflict. God had promised one thing to Abraham. He, he said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. Well, how is he going to do that? God told him, I'll give you a son. He's going to do it through his family, through his son, Isaac. And now God is saying to Abraham, take that very son that I promised to you that you've been waiting so long for and kill him. Sacrifice him on an altar. This is a difficult passage. It's difficult because we're human and we want to ask questions like, is this a God that I can trust? Why, why would he make such an awful demand on Abraham? Well, I, the passage does give us the answer uh, to those questions. Uh, unfortunately for some of us, it, it might not be the answer that, that we like, the answer that we're looking for. But you see, the answer that God gives, it's better than ours. Uh, The the answer that God gives, uh, it may not satisfy in our minds a logical demand, uh, but his answer is more beautiful, it's more real, and it reaches deeper into our hearts. And the answer comes at the very end in verse 14. When Abraham names the place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. It was the answer for Abraham 4,000 years ago, and it's the answer for us Today, You can stake your life on it. And so I wonder this morning if you and I can say with Abraham with confidence, the Lord will provide. Well, this morning I think we're going to find out that all that the Lord did provide for Abraham that day. We're also going to find out, though, what the Lord has provided for us this day, today. So with that in mind, we'll walk through this text with these three points. Uh, First, the the path of faith. The path of faith. Second, the the pattern of sacrifice. The pattern of sacrifice. And finally, third, the provision of the lamb. The provision of the lamb. So so first, the path of faith. What's a path? Well, a a path, it's not a highway. It's not a road. It's not paved. It's, it's filled with potholes and rocks and, and switchbacks and overgrown brush uh, like you're traveling up a mountain. You, you can't see the end. Uh, you just trust it's there. Uh, you hope it's there because other people have journeyed the same path that you have. Well, Abraham's entire life was a path. And this story was a path, that, that lonely way uh, up to the Mount uh, Moriah to sacrifice his son. And our story as well is a path. Now, this story begins with what? With God testing Abraham. Well, what, what is that all about? Is it even fair that, that God would test Abraham? In our minds, it seems like this can only be some cruel game, right, that God would play for the fun of it. So he, he puts Abraham through hell on earth just so that we might have this, this story of a man who had great faith. Well, that is true. Abraham did have great faith, but there is a reality that's much bigger, much better, much more beautiful than that. The testing of Abraham was for Abraham. 
It, it was for his good to, to galvanize his faith, to strengthen it. If you've been reading CBR recently, you got an answer for what God's testing is. In James chapter 1, 3 and 4, when, when James says, You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, testing is so that God can make you more mature. It takes the, the idea of our faith and it, and it brings it down to earth. Uh, God's testing is like the testing of a great teacher. Uh, I don't know uh, if you've ever had a teacher that, that was like this, that, that tested you, that genuinely cared for you. A teacher that wanted you to learn the material for their class, uh, not just so that you could spit it back out on a test paper, but so that you could bring it with you out, out of the lab of the classroom and into the reality of life. Well, I had one of those, those teachers. Mrs. Roll was her name. Now, let me tell you, everybody dreaded going to Mrs. Roll's class. When you graduated from sixth grade to seventh grade and you had to go to Mrs. Roll's English class, um, you hated it. Her, her, her tests were harder. They weren't just multiple choice anymore. Now they were short answer and long essays. I couldn't just memorize some facts. I actually had to, heaven forbid, use my brain and, and, and apply things that I learned in her class on a test. But Mrs. Roll cared that I learned English from her class. And you know how I know that? To this day, I still remember almost every assignment I did in that class. I remember the speech I had to give and being videotaped while I did it. I remember the novel I had to write. That's right, seventh grade novel. Figure that one out. Uh, but how proud I was when that was all over. I, I remember learning how to diagram sentences, and I still know what a participle is, thanks to Mrs. Roll. I remember writing that report on jazz music and, and so on. And the crazy part is, English was my worst subject. I, I didn't even like it. But that's just it. Mrs. Roll felt like her job was to, to bring me to more maturity, to, to bring me to more completeness in that area of weakness. And that's exactly what she did. So what is testing? I, I can tell you it's not a mean teacher. It's not a mean teacher that wants you to fail, uh, who doesn't care about you actually learning anything. God's testing is his care for us. God's testing of Abraham was his care for Abraham. God's testing was, was seeing an area of weakness and, and pointing it out, but not to shame or to punish, but to strengthen him, to strengthen us, so that we, like James says, can be brought to maturity and made complete. So this morning, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is the Lord testing in our lives? Have you viewed it, whatever that testing is, as, as punishment, because it just feels like there's no other way to view it? And I understand that. But know this, like Abraham didn't know what God was up to as he's walking down that path, we don't know all of what God is up to in our lives, but we do know this, that his testing is for us. It's for our good to bring us to completion. And so what, what is God testing in Abraham? Well, to find out, I think we have to take a, a step back and just look briefly at Abraham's story. Uh, at the beginning of the story, of Abraham's story, God made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. Well, like all of us, Abraham thinks, man, this sounds great. 
until push comes to shove. And when his life is on the line and the promise is on the line, his trust in God's ability to bring about the promise starts to falter, just like we would. And so he he tries to bring about the promise uh, in his own way. For example, you know, maybe the story when Abraham tells Pharaoh that his wife Sarah was not his wife, but it was his sister, uh, because he feared that he would be killed. He's not trusting that God's going to make him, that God's going to come through on that promise. Uh, But God stayed faithful. And then when Abraham's wife Sarah couldn't give Abraham any children, which, by the way, is a pretty big problem when the promise is that he's going to bless you through your family. Abraham didn't trust God, and so he goes around the promise, and he has a son um, with his wife's servant. But God remained faithful. And then God tells Abraham and Sarah that they would bear a child, but at 100 years old, they laugh in God's face at that promise. But God remained faithful, and they bore Isaac at 100 years old. And so at that ripe old age, Abraham starts to get it. This God who called me really is faithful. He delivered on his promise. And so when we read Genesis 22, we need to remember that this is at the end of Abraham's life. It's it's not the beginning. It's the climax of his story. It's, It's the climax of his faith. And so when Abraham hears that command, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a a burnt offering, what a punch in the gut that was for Abraham. God knows how much Abraham loves his son. It took this long for the promise to become a reality. But now Abraham's response, it's a new response for him. It's a response of faith. It's not blind faith. It's faith built on the last several years of watching God come through in spite of his failings. And it's not a blind faith because Abraham in this story shows us how difficult that path really was. He wasn't a robot. This hurt Abraham so bad. It was a, this was a father and son that loved each other deeply. The, the words son and father show up 13 times in our 14 verses. This was a deep relationship. Abraham's pain is showed by the writer's attention to little details. Uh, like in verse 3, as he saddles his donkey and he gathers Isaac and the young men for the trip. And then he starts cutting wood. Abraham was saving this part for the end. He's putting it off. You can, you can only imagine the pain as Abraham is chopping that wood, knowing what it's for. And as he lays that wood on his son Isaac, and his son asks him, Father, uh, I see everything for the offering except the offering itself. Abraham responds with saving faith when he says in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. So Abraham's saving faith was two things. The complete uncertainty as to how this was going to happen. And the complete confidence that God would provide. Complete uncertainty, but complete confidence in God's ability. And so he had been waiting several years for God to follow through on his promise. And now the promise had become a reality. It was his son standing in front of him. And God was telling him, now go sacrifice him on the altar. Abraham had a decision to make at this point. Uh, Would he make an idol out of the promise of God? Or would he worship the God of the promise? Would he make an idol out of the promise of God? Or would he worship the God of the promise? And Hebrews 11 tells us that he worshiped God. 
It says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham considered that God was even able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's how big Abraham's God was at this point in his life. He'd seen him make good on his promise. And so he knew that not even death would prevent him from coming through on the promise. So it took a lifetime for Abraham to believe in the God of the promise. Uh, But when he did, he staked his life on it. Well, you and I are surrounded by promises too, aren't we? They're everywhere. Unfortunately, their names are empty and broken most of the time. Uh, we're promised things like health care and social security, and, and, and those are broken. Uh, we promise vows to our spouses, and, and then we break them. We make promises to, to business partners, and they break them. Dads make promises to kids, and they don't keep them. And on and on it goes. Broken promises are all around us. And enough of those, uh, and you forget how to trust. We don't have many models of promises being kept. And so then we start to put that distrust on God. I know I do that. Maybe you've never had anyone in your life that you could trust because behind you is a path of broken promises. So why would you trust God either? Well, I would tell you today that you can trust God because he is not a man and he won't lie. Because at the height of Abraham's knife, God stops his hand. God was faithful to his promise. And so your life's track record of promises being kept might be 1%. But God's track record is 100%. He's faithful every time. And that's the path of faith uh, for Abraham. It was long and winding. It was a long and winding path up that mountain uh, to, to offer up his son. But God had proven faithful. And so as we move on in this story, uh, we get to that moment when, when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And, and I think for most of us, a, a question comes up. Why, why do we even need a sacrifice? What, what is God doing in asking Abraham to sacrifice uh, his son? And so that brings us to our second point this morning, the pattern of sacrifice. The idea that God would require a sacrifice is not a new thing. Uh, last week, we talked about the promise in Genesis 3 that, that God would crush Satan for tempting Adam and Eve uh, to sin. But, but at the end of the story with Adam and Eve, God does something else too. He, he set up a pattern that would continue on for thousands of years. In Genesis 3, it says that the Lord made for Adam and Eve uh, garments of skins and clothed them. Now, now for some of us, when we, when we hear this, we think, oh, that's when God gave Adam and Eve skin like we have. Um, well, no, I, I would tell you it's actually a lot simpler than that. He, he literally gave them clothing. And that clothing, though, was made out of animal skins. And what does that mean? It means an animal lost its life. Uh, It means that there was blood that was shed. And why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. And God told Adam and Eve, if you sin, something's going to happen. What did he tell them? He said, you shall surely die. Except they don't die because God is gracious. They live But God somehow had to be satisfied. He couldn't just sweep their sin under the rug. Something had to happen. Otherwise, he'd be a liar. Well, Adam and Eve lived because God took another life instead of theirs. He he killed an animal as a substitute for their own life. And then he covered the shame that they felt in their physical body with with the skin of the animal. and, And the death of the animal covered the guilt of their sin. This would become the pattern of of Sacrifice. Sin had entered the world, and and we needed a substitute. 
And so this pattern continues on and it progresses as history goes on for the people of God. It becomes more refined. Uh, We know another story. uh, As the people of Israel are about to be freed from slavery in Egypt, God did what? He required a sacrifice. He told every family to take a lamb, a lamb, and kill it and, and smear the blood on the door frame of the house and so that when God saw the blood, he would pass over that house, knowing that, that justice had been satisfied because of the substitution of a, of a lamb for their sin. And this was a gruesome ordeal, lambs being sacrificed all throughout the people of Israel, but it's gruesome because the sin of the people of God was a gruesome or, ordeal in the face of God. And, and so this pattern of sacrifice be, becomes more routine as time wears on. You have have priests offering sacrifices once a year as as a substitute for the sin of God's people. Uh, It happened in the tabernacle and and then in the temple. And over and over again, year after year, the people sinned and they offered a sacrifice to God. But what what does this have to do with me? Who cares? That that was then, this is now. We, We don't sacrifice animals anymore. And I'd say you're right. There's a reason that we don't do that. That's because those animals were pointing uh, to something greater that was coming. They were, they were like shadows. Uh, we see shadows every day. Uh, take a tree, for example. Um, a tree casts its shadow because there, there's light on one side, and it's passing over the tree, and it casts its shadow on the ground. And when you look at the shadow on the ground, what do you, what do you see? Well, you see an outline. You can maybe tell that it's a tree, if that but, but that's probably about it. You, you can't tell what, what kind of tree it is. What the, you can't see the leaves or the bark or the flowers. You can't see the color. At the end of the day, you're not seeing the real tree yet. You're, you're just seeing a shadow. But you do know something. There's a tree around somewhere, and so you look for it. You look for it, and that's what these sacrifices were. Uh, Hebrews 8 tells us that these sacrifices served as a, of a, as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. See, the real thing wasn't here yet, but it was coming. And that's what we celebrate during this Advent season. As time wore on, the shadows were coming into focus more clearly. They they were becoming HD. The the pattern of sacrifice had been set. Uh, And in Genesis 22, as Abraham is about to sacrifice his only son, we get a foreshadowing of what was to come. And what was coming That was our third point for this morning. The provision of the lamb. The provision of the lamb. In our story, as Abraham is about to bring down uh, the knife to slaughter his very own son, an angel of God stops him in mid-strike and says, don't do it. Don't lay a hand on your boy. Now I know that you fear God. But God still needed something. He needed that same sacrifice to satisfy justice for sin. Again, something had to lose its life. If it wasn't Isaac, it was something else. And so behold, it tells us, behind Abraham is a ram that the Lord provided as a substitute so that Abraham could offer the ram instead of his own son. Abraham, as we already found out, he had faith that God would provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, a more literal translation of that word provide is is to see. In other words, where neither Abraham nor Isaac could see the lamb for an offering, like Isaac says, Father, where's the, where's the lamb? God did see it. 
God had vision that neither Abraham nor Isaac had. And then because God did provide the sacrificial lamb, Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. And on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, what's interesting for us today is is the setting of this story. Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah uh, doesn't take a big prominent place often in scripture. It's It's only mentioned in one other place, actually. It's in your favorite book, Second Chronicles. Um, but it's mentioned in passing uh, as a hill outside of Jerusalem where the temple of Solomon was being built. A hill outside of Jerusalem. A hill outside of Jerusalem. 2,000 years after Abraham would be asked to sacrifice his only son on a hill outside of Jerusalem, God the Father would send his only son to be the final sacrifice on that same hill, the hill of Calvary where Jesus was crucified. And so it says in verse 14, on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. But with our more literal translation, it says on the mount of the Lord, he will be seen. The Lord himself was seen on the hill outside Jerusalem. God at that point was not providing another lamb to be sacrificed. He was providing himself. You know, the very first uh, words of the New Testament say the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was that seed, the offspring, the son that would bless the world. He was the promise that God made to Abraham. The first words out of the mouth of John the Baptist when he sees Jesus is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the shadow was fading away, and the real person, the final sacrifice, was coming into focus. And then when Jesus himself is is talking about Abraham um, in in John chapter 8, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it. What, what did Abraham see 2,000 years before? On Mount Moriah, when, he, when Abraham names the place the Lord will provide, he saw Jesus on Mount Moriah. He probably didn't know his name. He didn't know when he was coming or how soon it would be. He didn't know what he would look like. It was like what he sees when we see a shadow. He could only see in some form what was behind it, but Abraham saw that God's promise to make him a blessing to all nations was coming in the provision of an ultimate sacrifice. And so as Abraham and Isaac uh, walk up that mountain together, it's clear this was a lonely, painful walk. But it should remind us of another painful, uh, lonely father and son moment. To remind us of Jesus praying to his heavenly father in the garden before he was crucified. It tells us that he went alone to pray and he fell on his face and Jesus cried out, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows what is coming and he's wrestling with it, but, but like Isaac, Jesus is willing to be bound This was his job. It's what he was sent uh, to do. But unlike Isaac, there was no substitute for Jesus. There was no ram caught in the thicket. Jesus was the lamb. Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the son of God and his body was broken and his blood poured out on the cross for people like us, for our sins. 
But with the provision of this lamb, there would never need to be another one again. Well, saying all of that, we have to ask ourselves, I had to ask myself, where am I trying to provide my own sacrifice? Where am I not trusting in what God has provided in the sacrifice of his own son? Well, I can give you a few examples uh, from my own life. Uh, I'm not trusting in the provision. Every time I start to say, I can handle this. Uh, I can do this on my own. You just watch me. I'm, I'm going to get it right this time. Uh, all the power comes uh, from within me. I'll, I'll, I'll beat this. And then what happens? In my own strength, I continue to deal with the same sins uh, over and over again. It, it's because it's, it would be like Abraham refusing the substitute lamb for Isaac and saying, no, no, Lord, actually, I, I think Isaac would be a better sacrifice. When I say that, we all know that's crazy, but, but, but I live like that daily. Uh, a second example from my own life that shows I'm not trusting in God's provision um, is my tendency to grow defensive. This happens all too often with, with, my, with my wife as, as she lovingly points out uh, my sin or a way that I hurt her and my response is to do what? Is to defend myself. That's all about me not trusting that God's provision is enough for me. So what takes over? Shame. Shame takes over. I run and hide. I can't openly look at my sin, acknowledge it and repent for it. So I hide from it. One final example from my life of not trusting God's provision is this. This one's just ugly. Um, I, I think that Jesus' sacrifice is enough for my sins, uh, but when other people hurt me, it's not enough for their sins. I want them to pay for their sins. I, I gave up a relationship with a friend uh, for a couple of years simply because they hurt me. I knew I was right and I was waiting for them to pay me back uh, for how they'd hurt me. The greatest gift that comes um, at Christmas is the gift of repentance. God has provided the lamb. He's been slain for the forgiveness of your sins. And the question is, have you received that provision? And, and if you have, where are the dark parts in, in your heart, in my heart, uh, where we're still not receiving that provision? With the season of Advent, we, we celebrate first that Jesus arrived 2,000 years ago to be our substitute sacrifice but we also celebrate that he's present with us now by his Holy Spirit, giving us power in our lives to overcome sin. And so we have the freedom, unlike me when I run to, to hide in shame, we have the freedom to approach God and one another with our sin and to repent for it and, and to believe that Jesus was the lamb who was slain to pay for it. And so it, and when he meets us in those places, which he does, uh, we feel no shame. Our weakness becomes strength. We receive grace and our dead hearts become alive. And, and so then we can cry out with the writer of Revelation as we already did this morning, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I praise you uh, this morning that you are so merciful and gracious. I praise you this morning, God, that you have provided the lamb uh, who was slain. That you have provided uh, the substitute to pay uh, for my sins and my friend's sins here this morning.
Uh, but I confess, Father, that I don't trust in your provision. Um, I, I want to, to make my own, I, I want to run to, to condemnation and shame. But thank you, Jesus, that there is no condemnation now. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice was, was final once for all, that you are the lamb who was slain. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us the power over sin? Would you give us the, um, the desire to run to you, to not run to shame, but to run to you, to repent? And would you be that power in us? We worship you this morning for who you are and what you've done. And as we celebrate that you have come and that you are with us now and that you will come. In Jesus' name we pray.